0: Good morning. So, uh, if if you've ever wondered why Presbyterians don't like change, you now know it's because we're so so bad at it. Like, you know, a little change in the bulletin and none of us know exactly what's going on. So, thankfully that's done for a decade and we won't change again. We're going to look at uh, a snapshot taken in the middle of a story uh, to make a point about how the middle of the story uh, of our lives comes together. So um, please understand when we read this, we'll start in the middle, we'll sort of end before it's done. You can read the whole passage uh, a little bit later, but first, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you to to teach us about who you are, about what you have done for us, about how we might embrace that, and then how we might live it out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here, take my daughter Merab. I will give you to her for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the maholthite for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, Let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant speak to David in private and say to him, Behold, the king has delight in you and his servants, all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in David's ears and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? Amen. Well, if you're going to leave the faith, um, you should know how. And the Bible's filled with examples of people that are part of the covenant community and then walk away. So I'm going to teach you about one of them today, but of course you might not be surprised to know that my intention is not to help you out of the faith, but to help you stay in it so that you might recognize how it is we wander. And let me make this clear from my three decades uh, plus, everybody wanders, no one jumps off a cliff of faithlessness in a moment. So I want to ask, how, how do you get to a place where you throw a spear at the king? Look around this room. It'd be difficult to imagine anyone rejecting the true king that fiercely. But we've all seen people walk away from faith. We've always seen women and men lose their faith. I have in my ministry, it's in the Bible. The Bible's pretty frank about it. But what I want us to understand is never once in all of the ministry of anyone I've known, including myself, has anyone woken up in a moment and left the faith? Even if there was some acute, terrible, most grievous wound they suffered. It always starts long before. This is what we learned from Saul about that long journey. The best way to lose your faith is to protect yourself from Jesus while you ask him to keep you safe. The best way to lose your faith is to protect yourself a little bit every day from Jesus while you ask him to keep you safe. I'm going to say that one more time because that is truly one of the things that if you just learn that and keep an eye on your heart, you could go get coffee. The best way to lose your faith is to protect yourself from Jesus a little bit every day while you ask him to keep you safe. In other words, subtly using Jesus is what alienates your heart from him long before His heart is alienated from you. So let's talk about how to lose your faith, and then let's talk about how not to lose your faith. But let's begin with uh, Saul and these words, the next day. And what I want us to see is that you always lose your faith very slowly. I said this comes in the middle of a story. Um, Saul had just heard everyone celebrating how great David was. And Saul was kind of great, and David was super great. Saul had killed thousands, and David had killed tens of thousands. And Saul, well, that didn't rest well with Saul. He eyed David from that point forward. It's, this is the verse before, says he eyed David. And this is something that started long before in our collection of the story, and it's structures as we've imposed on it, chapter 18. In chapter 13, Saul makes an unlawful sacrifice. In chapter 15, Saul um, won't wait and obey God to make another sacrifice. In chapter 16, David is anointed and he begins to comfort Saul. In chapter 17, Um, Saul is a coward and he's afraid of Goliath and the Philistines. And David comes and saves the day. And Saul never is able to do the math. It takes a little bit every day. What, What I want us to learn is you are already becoming what you're going to be tomorrow. That started years ago. My football coach, one of them, um, used to say, "Don't worry, Kelly. You can always be used as a bad example." And poor Saul—that's Saul's—that's Saul's legacy. But but I want you to reflect on yourself and have have sympathy for Saul, because it's it's true. By God's grace, uh, now at this moment, we we've not wandered off. But I could trade or or trace back decisions i made in the 70s and i made in the 80s and i made in the 90s and then in the in the beginning of the century and then just in the teens and just last week i, I have sown seed remember what what paul says one of the writers of the new testament don't be deceived he says michael you you will reap what you sow the gospel's not magic And Saul bore its fruit. The second way, after you start a little bit every day, which we'll return to that in a moment or in a little while, is to live in your fears. Saul was a fearful man. Saul's fears ruled his life. They became the coordinating principle of his um, behavior. So, you're probably afraid of something. Even if you're not shaking by it, your life is ordered around avoiding certain bad things. That's fine, that's prudent, that's wise, but, but also, that's at the very least respect of the harm those things can do to you. It, it's probably closer to fear than of those things than you are, uh, or I am ready to admit, and Saul was certainly this way too. We, um, we know, or, or at least we learn eventually, that stupid hurts, so we don't want to do stupid things. And just be careful what you think is stupid. Saul said, I have sinned in chapter 15, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. He's talking to Samuel. Here's, here's the line that I want you to take away from it. Because I feared the people. And obeyed their voice. In seventeen eleven, uh, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Taking counsel of our fears is, um, well, it's it takes the art of wisdom because there are things that you should be afraid of, but regulating that fear and putting it at the feet of the Lord of whom you should be more afraid, well that's where Saul made his mistake. I personally would be afraid of a nine foot tall dude that hated me. But what do I do with that? I'm afraid of the people and their voice. If you talk to a pastor who says he's never afraid of that, I'd like to meet him. It's the way it is. But what's Challenging about this fear that we have is is fear always hides um, not always but often hides and sounds and feels like humility but but saul 's fear wasn't humility saul wasn 't a humble man who knew that goliath could could kill him saul wasn 't a humble leader who wanted to lead from behind, which was a big deal i don 't under like there's a lot you need to be a servant leader, but the lead from behind thing. I don't know about that. That's no extra charge. That's just Mike talking. But but what I want you to know is that that fear is not the same thing as humility. Um, in, in fact, the Bible's one mark of true humility is that you do what God says. That's what humility is. So uh, excuse me, Saul's fear um, wasn't humility. it was actually a fear born out of his pride. It's interesting what he does. <laughs> yeah It leads us to the second, uh, or the third mark of, of how to lose your faith, and it's the one I mentioned in the summary of the message, is to protect yourself. And Saul's fear is really about protecting himself. So you you need to do it a little bit every day. It takes time. You you need to lose your faith out of fear, and you need to make your faith about protecting yourself. Um, This is one of the most striking things Saul says in the accounts of his behavior. Then he said to Samuel, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people Israel, and return with me. Think about that. Saul has blown it again. That's his second time of blowing it. And, and he's contrite-ish. but what does he want to do? He wants Saul to I'm, excuse me, he wants Samuel the prophet, to walk back with him so he doesn't lose face. So much of, of, of our life is about protecting um, our reputation, how people see us, our time our money and the fact of the matter is that we all at times will will weaponize our faith to to guard those very things that God would have our faith give to him so we we have this picture of Saul emerging in front of us where he works every day out of his fear to make sure he's okay. That's a hard way to live. But it is how you will live because the next mark is that you let it rule you. We're told in verse 8 that Saul eyed David from that day on. In other words, that became the paradigm through which Saul would experience David and manage his life accordingly. And you can see how the energy of self is, he's very angry, he's displeased, he's in fearful awe. This is, these are all the characteristics of Saul's heart and emotions that we see. This then becomes the driving motivation by, by which he manages his relationship with the anointed king and all of his kingdom. He's driven by this. You know, so much of our life, we wake up and we immediately start to do threat assessment. Like, what's going to work? What's not going to work? Who's going to help? Who's not going to help? Who's safe? Who's not safe? What gets me more? What gives me less? And then we manage our way around it. It's, the challenge is, you... That's kind of how life works. I mean, you're not supposed to do stupid things all day. You're supposed to be a steward of your time and your money and your reputation that you might give it to the Lord. That's the challenge that Saul presents to us. But when that fear and self-protection becomes the instrument by which you manage your faith, well, then all things start to, uh, a dry rot starts to enter into your soul. You know, Saul, ironically, Saul's entire life, um, regardless of what he wants, is centered on David. He's got a, a David-centric life, even though he's trying not to. So, so his management is either to try to kill David, and evidently Saul is really bad at spearing people, because I can't believe the room is that big. But then when that doesn't work, he tries to drive him away. Maybe the Philistines will kill him. And, and, uh, and, and that doesn't work. He's like, well, maybe I should give him a daughter. And that doesn't work. Well, maybe I should give him my other daughter. And Saul then becomes sadly a picture of a part of all of our life with Christ. To draw him near when we need To push him away when we want our own way. To ask for him back. Well, David is so patient with Saul throughout this whole thing. It's remarkable. If David had a therapist, he would have left the toxic work environment right away. David's managing, or or Saul's managing his life. Um... By the time you get the training that they give to us, and then you spend years using the Bible for part of your vocation, a big part, hopefully, um, you get to be really good at managing its truths and doctrines uh, in order to have Christ close enough to help and far enough away to um, not be a problem for you. Remember what I'm trying to say. These, this, are, this is just the way human beings are. Saul is us. Thankfully, we're also David in some ways, but Saul is us in some ways. And, um, and what we find with this whole course, you, you let it rule you, you become managed by your, um, your life, you, uh, you live in fear, it takes a little bit every day well then it you end up as Saul did isolating himself from David David didn't leave for a long time probably 7 years best we can tell David put up with this dysfunctional toxic pseudo king but but this whole time Um, he was alienated from the king. This is a characteristic of those who use their faith to protect themselves a little bit every day while they're asking Jesus to keep them safe. The only way to be safe is to make yourself in the most absolute terms that you possibly can completely vulnerable to Christ. Christ. That is the only way to be safe. And, and here's something else. If you're exploring Christianity, your, your life can still be, and even likely will be, very difficult, at least in seasons. But you'll always be safe. You'll always be safe. Otherwise, you'll be left alone. I had a professor once, Dr. Raymond. He's now in glory. And Brian Douglas and I, former associate pastor here. Brian knew him from, we had all these, we used to share Raymond stories. You could do a whole sermon of Raymond stories, um, but you're just going to hear one. Someone asked him, there's a famous passage in, um, in the scriptures uh, where Paul says, an uh, apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul said, what must I do, uh, or excuse me, um, that we might be saved, uh, but as through fire. He was talking about people who wander. Saved as through fire. And so my, um, my uh, fellow student said, Dr. Raymond, what does it mean to be saved as though through fire? And Dr. Raymond, he was a pretty smart dude, he said, I don't know, but I don't want it to happen to me. And I thought right then, that's all I ever need to know about what that passage means. That's all I ever need to know. But what I I think we need to know is that um, God's patience leads to repentance. But over time, as it doesn't lead to repentance... It does end. Jesus let the Pharisees walk away. He let the faithful, devoted, rich young ruler walk away. He let Judas walk away. Remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the worst ending to any sermon in the history of the church is the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, by worst I mean the hardest to listen to. When all these people say, Well, what about we did this and that and we called on your name? And he said, I don't know you. Remember the the virgins who didn't have enough oil in one of his parables. He the bridegroom doesn't open the door. You know, the shocking reality of the honesty of Scripture is brutally honest about how messed up and hurtful the church can be and its leaders and its, and your fellow members. People tell me they want the New Testament church and I'm like, you need to read that book again. It's tragic and it breaks God's heart and He will discipline us for our misbehavior. But the church is also honest about those who are its members and then leave. That's that accounts all through the New Testament. But here's what strikes me. Um, I don't know of one. Now maybe you'll come up to me. I've said this in a number of settings. I don't know of a single instance where the apostate have been excused for their loss of faith because of the behavior of the people of God or God's course of providence in their life. Now, we we can be sympathetic and we can empathize with that and we can understand that the church needs to be better. But if we're biblical, we can never finally conclude that the loss of our faith is ever on anyone but ourselves. And that's a frightening reality. So let's not do that. How should we not do that? Well, first thing I want you to do is to listen to yourself. Because God does. You notice a a couple times in this passage, Saul said to himself, remember that? Saul said to himself, that's twice in our passage. So, you know, Saul's got all these secret thoughts and he's got all these real plans. And so you do too, I do too, okay? We do. You should start writing them down and see what they look like when they're out of your head on a piece of paper. What am I really trying to do? With my faith? What do I really want from God? What am I doing in this relationship? God hears those things. How am I protecting myself? Remember the psalmist Search me, O God, and see if there is any unpleasant way in me. We need to hear ourselves. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. So examine yourselves, as Paul says in another way, in a a letter to the Corinthians, to see whether or not you were in the faith. Now now that is uh, important because when we try to figure out whether we're in the faith, we don't want to see whether or not we're in the faith. We want to find out that we're in the faith. But Paul calls them to find out whether or not. I'm not asking you to spend a Sunday afternoon in angst. But you should ask yourself and listen to yourself. The the second thing that I I want you to do is to um, remember this, that you are doing faith every day, and every day you do faith, you are sowing seeds about who you're going to be tomorrow. So I'm, I, I really want you to be comforted in this in this passage. You have you have the you have by God's grace the power to form your old self, or if you're like me, it's have to be your older self. You will become more of who you're becoming today. You will reap what you sow. This happens every day. That's really the most this fundamental thing. You, you listen to yourself, self-critically, write it out and say, wow, I said that in my head about my workmate, about my sibling, about my spouse, about my interim preacher pastor. I don't know who you're talking about, but, but whoever it is. And then see, how is that protecting me? and then work a little bit every day realize that you're just kind of pointing yourself in one direction every day now you're like me one day it's good one day it's bad one day it's both you know it's usually probably never the the one day when it does become catastrophic um That'll be a big deal, but you'll be able to trace back all the little catastrophes that you, you fed yourself with, you know, in the years, in the years before. That, that's, a, that's a power for you. And, and here's the next thing. That's a power for you to be vulnerable before Christ, to, to stop protecting yourself. That's what that means every day, to make yourself vulnerable, to do what he says, to let him have your heart, to let him have what you want. To let him have what you're convinced you need. To stop managing him. To stop making yourself self protect yourself a little bit every day while you ask him to keep you safe. You make yourself vulnerable to him every day while you ask him to keep you safe. So... Um, I, I was at a conference once, and we'll close with this, and then one, one other lesson to give you some encouragement. I was at a conference, and we went to the buffet, and this giant of a man like 6:10, the PCA guys, now with the Lord, 6:10 comes up to me and, and he starts throwing food. I'd never met the guy. I, I, I'd seen him because he was so, you know, had such high stature. And he's, and he's the very first thing he ever says to me. He goes, Listen, Southern dude, he goes, You want to stay over 300 pounds? It takes commitment. And he's like putting food on his plate. He goes, Every meal, every day. And I thought, All right then. That's like, that probably works in both directions, actually. So what I want you to see is two things. Every person, every event, every decision, every day. Make yourself vulnerable to Christ as you ask him to keep you safe. And then remember this. I want to go back to what I said before. It took, it, it took David years to get away from Saul. When he could have fled to the hill, Jesus is so patient with us. David was so patient with Saul. You, you may have been wandering. You may be sitting here saying, I've been wandering. And um, I'm glad you're discovering that. But, but Jesus has still been with you. And then get this. Then get this. When, when David finally left Saul, he was still gentle with Saul. He, he twice wouldn't take Saul's life. The amazing wonder of the gospel is that Jesus, for a long season, will wander with you. And if you would just stop managing him and ask him to keep you safe by making everything you want the most vulnerable to him, well, then you'll never be lost. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I I pray that you would help us to love you all the way to the end. May our love never fail. We know yours will not. In Jesus' name, amen.